want us to look this morning at one of the truly wonderful passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, and that is Psalm 130. I invite you to turn there with me. Psalm 130. This is a psalm that may be familiar to many of you. I hope that it is. And let's begin by reading this psalm. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine, eyes be, thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, my attention was first drawn to this psalm uh, many years ago by verse 4. There is forgiveness with you uh, that you may be feared. Verse 4 is a particularly well-known verse from the psalms. And is one of those really interesting statements in the scriptures because it doesn't say exactly what we would expect it to say. We would expect it to say something like, There is forgiveness with you that you might be loved or or some other term besides the term feared. And so many years ago that uh, first draw, brought my attention and the attention of many others to Psalm 130. But we're not going to talk about verse 4 this morning. We're going to be looking uh, just at verses 1 and 2 this morning. But before we look at those two verses, I would like to make a few kind of introductory comments to you about Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is the sixth of seven penitential psalms in the Old Testament. The others are Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51 that we just sang just a moment ago is one of these uh, seven penitential psalms. 102, 130, and 143. And among those psalms are many well-known passages from the psalms that we are very familiar with. This psalm is one of those passages of Scripture that has a name. For example, Genesis 3.15 is the proto-evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel. In uh, Luke chapter 1, we have Mary's song, the Magnificat. It has a name attached to it, and we know uh, it by that name, my soul magnifies, that Latin word, the Magnificat. Well, this psalm also is known, has been known throughout church history uh, by a name, and that is the name De Profundus. It's the Latin translation of the opening words of this psalm, out of the depths. We get our English word profound from that Latin word that means deep. And when we say something is profound, we mean that it has intellectual depth and insight. Uh, that it is difficult to fathom or to understand, that it extends far beyond the surface, that we are penetrating deeply into a subject. That's what we mean when we say profound. And I would suggest to you that that's a good name for this psalm. This psalm is about the deepest things. It is truly profound. This psalm is frequently inspired the composers of music. J.S. Bach, Handel, Franz Liszt, Mendelssohn, Mozart, Pachelbel, and, and a score of others have uh, written works based on Psalm 130. 
We know Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We, we sing that all the time. It's based on Psalm 46. But his, his second most known hymn, he did write uh, a number of other hymns. His, uh, probably the, the second best known hymn is the hymn, From Depths of Woe, which is based on this psalm, Psalm 130. Some have said, using modern terms, that this is a song that sings the blues. Martin Luther loved this psalm. He called it a Pauline song, meaning that it sounds like something that the Apostle Paul would have written in the New Testament. And he said that because it has as its, as its theme salvation by grace apart from works of the law through grace. And it was, a favorite, it was the favorite psalm of many men like Augustine and Luther and Calvin. John Owen wrote a commentary of over 300 pages on this psalm. In the introduction to that book uh, on Psalm 130, uh, we read this. I just want to share with you what Dr. Owen said. Dr. Owen explained the occasion which led him to a very careful examination of this psalm. A Mr. Davis, being under religious impressions, had sought a conference with Owen. In the course of the conversation, Dr. Owen put the question, Young man, pray in what manner do you think to go to God? Through the mediator, sir, answered Mr. Davis. That is easily said, replied the doctor. But I assure you that it is another thing to go to God through the mediator than many who make use of the expression are aware of. I myself preached Christ, he continued, some years when I had but very little, if any, experimental acquaintance with access to God through Christ, until the Lord was pleased to visit me with sore affliction, whereby I was brought to the mouth of the grave, and under which my soul was oppressed with horror and darkness, but God graciously re relieved my spirit by a, by a powerful application of Psalm 130. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared." From whence I received special instruction, peace, and comfort in drawing near to God through the mediator and preached thereupon immediately after my recovery. John Wesley, after graduating from Oxford and following the death of his father, Samuel Wesley, served as a missionary in the state of Georgia in the United States. He came across from England to America for a brief time. What he discovered during those years that he was here in the, in the United States was that he was not converted. He was a missionary, but he was not a Christian. He went back to England, and it is well known that in May of 1738 in Aldersgate in London, during a reading from the preface of Luther's commentary on Romans, that Wesley's heart was strangely warmed, that's his term, strangely warmed, and he was converted. What is not so well known is that that very afternoon, John Wesley, John Wesley had gone to St. Paul's Cathedral, and there he heard the choir sing an anthem. It was De Profundus, Psalm 130, Out of the Depths. And God used that psalm and the singing of, that, of this particular text that we're beginning to look at now in these next moments uh, in the conversion of John Wesley, the, the famous preacher. Note that this psalm has a superscription above it. If you look at Psalm 130, there is a superscription there. It says, A song of decrees 
if you're looking at the King James Version, if you're looking at the New American Standard or the ESV or NIV, it says a song of ascents. Now the superscription, and I'm not referring to the editor's heading, is part of the actual text of the psalm. Above Psalm 130, the NASV, I'm looking at the New American Standard, it says, hope in the Lord's forgiving love. I think the ESV says, my soul waits for the Lord. Those are editorial comments, and they are not part of the text of your Bible. But the words, a song of ascent, is actually part of the inspired text. Turn back with me to Psalm 51. Let me just give you another example of what I'm talking about. If you look at the top of Psalm 51... It says this, for the choir director, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now these words are actually part of the text of the psalm. They are, they've not been added as a heading. And when we read the psalms, we need to pay attention to the superscriptions and we need to treat them as if they were verse 1 of the psalm. We shouldn't leave them out. Now if you turn to Psalm 120... Psalm 120, you will note at the top, the superscription reads, A Song of Ascents. If you look at the next song, Psalm 121, you'll see it says, A Song of Ascents. And so it is if you look at every song all the way to Psalm 134, you'll see that 134 also, and every song in between has this superscription, A Song of Ascents. Fifteen psalms are each called a psalm of degrees or a psalm of ascents. And Psalm 130 is one of these psalms of ascents. Now what does that mean? Well, the word translated degrees or ascents means to go up, to go up by steps, to go up by degrees, that is one step at a time, to climb up, to ascend from a lower place to a higher place. Most scholars believe that this collection of psalms were sung as people made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year for the various appointed holy days and feasts and festivals. There were three feasts established in the Old Testament. It was required that every Israelite male, 13 years or older, present himself to God at the temple in Jerusalem on these three occasions each year. They were unleavened bread, Pentecost, and tabernacles. Thus, there were three annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Because of this, these 15 psalms were often called the pilgrim psalms. People always go up. They ascend to Jerusalem. They, they, um, no matter what direction you come from to Jerusalem, you always end your journey by going up to the city of Jerusalem. The city sits on top of Mount Moriah and Mount Zion and is surrounded on all sides by valleys and ravines so that one must always go up in order to enter the city. So no matter where you come from, when you come to Jerusalem, you go up to the city. Now we can see this in, if you look back to Psalm 121, for example, it begins by saying, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. And he's referring there as the pilgrims are approaching Jerusalem And this is where they're headed and they look up and they see there are the mountains of the city of Jerusalem from whence shall my my help come. Look at Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the 
to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. And so all the people from all around Israel, three times a year, they're making this journey, they're making this pilgrimage, they're going up to Jerusalem. In the Gospels, it talks about Jesus and his disciples going up to Jerusalem as our Lord is about to be crucified. Matthew chapter 20, Mark 10, Luke 18. As Jesus and his disciples walked, perhaps they were joined with other Passover bound pilgrims in singing these traditional songs of ascent to relieve the monotony of the long, hard walk up to Jerusalem. It may be, it is probable, that one of the very last things that our Lord did in His life as His life was coming to an end in those last hours as He marched towards the deep, dark hours and the deep, dark place that were, were going to be His lot during His last week, He sang these words, Out of the depths I cry to You, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. As he's going, knowing he will be crucified, he sings this on his way into the city. Now we ask, what is this really about? We know that everything in the Old Testament is really about Christ and his church. If, the, if in the providence of God, uh, the Old Testament people of Israel collected these 15 psalms to accompany them to Jerusalem to prepare their hearts to meet with God in his temple, then these psalms ought to serve that same purpose for us as well. These are themes that ought to matter to us, Christian pilgrims, as we think about our life with God in Christ, as we think about approaching near to God. So I suggest that Psalm 130 and the things that it talks about are especially important to us as the people of God. This psalm is the gospel. This psalm will help us to have a right relationship with God. Now some have asked the question, how does this penitential psalm end up in the middle of the pilgrim psalms. The people of God would sing these songs in procession uh, up to Jerusalem as they went to celebrate the three annual feasts. We can imagine, imagine how this would be a time of joy, gathering together to go up to the house of the Lord, to sing God's praises, to worship God, to participate in the feasts and the festivals that God had established. And here is this joyful occasion, and many of the psalms of ascent are joyful, but you get to this psalm, and it is a penitential psalm. It's a song of repentance. It's a song of personal lament. Does this really fit into a group of songs to be sung on such an occasion? Well, I think that it does. The psalmist is not the only one who has been in deep places. Many of God's people know what it is to be in the depths. Many know pain and grief in their hearts. When the people would leave their homes to head to Jerusalem, they did not leave their pains. They did not leave behind their problems and their griefs. And they would not travel pretending that everything was fine. They brought their pains and their griefs along with them. And, that's just, and that is still the case for us today. When we have sorrow and pain and we come to the house of the Lord, we bring those things here into this place with us. When we come with all of our burdens and we come with all of our needs and sometimes we come with our hard heart and other times we come with our longings for God, 
There is also the fact that while there is great joy and confidence in approaching God through Christ, still, when we think seriously about our own sin and the holiness of God, there is always this part of our Christian experience as well, a reminder of our need for mercy and for forgiveness and what our state would be apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Old Testament pilgrims needed to be reminded of this as they approached the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 130 did that for them. And we need to be reminded of this as well. And Psalm 130 does just that for us as well. Now I want us to consider verses 1 and 2 this morning. And I want us to look at these verses asking just two questions. Where does does the psalmist cry from and who does the psalmist cry to? Where does the psalmist cry from? Who does the psalmist cry to? These verses say, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Where does the psalmist cry from? Our text says, Out of the depths I have cried. When we read these words, we have a picture of a very low place. The depths. Note the word depths is plural. There are many things in our lives that are serious and deep and troubling. Sometimes this word is used in the Old Testament to refer to very deep waters. Sometimes it's used of the bottom of a deep dark pit or the deep dark places down in the earth. There are other times when this word is used to describe deep distress and trouble of the soul. The psalmist here sees himself as though he were drowning, as though waters of trouble are coming over his head and are burying him. And there is this deep sense of helplessness and hopelessness in these words. The depths is an image, a picture of being in a place of despair and distress and of being unable to help oneself. Look at Psalm 69 for just a moment. Psalm 69. verses 1 through 3. The psalmist here says, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. And then down in verses 14 and 15 in this same psalm. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the flood of water not overflow me. And may the deep not swallow me up. And may the pit not shut its mouth on me. So the psalmist here is picking up the same kind of thoughts that we have in our psalm in Psalm 130. When he says, I cry out of the depths. Pits. Waters, foes, all of these different things that are mentioned there in Psalm 69. These are the depths that the psalmist face. These are the things that we face as well. When you, one of the things that's true about the psalms is when we read them, we, we see the whole spectrum of human emotion. It's one of the uh, reasons that we love the psalms and we can relate so well to the psalms. The very things The very emotions, the very feelings that are expressed by the various psalmists are the things that we experience in our lives. Now the depths that the psalmist is talking about here can be fear of danger or of of distress or of being overwhelmed by things that are going on in our life. 
The depths can be a state of depression. The depths can be a sense that we sometimes have that we are far, far away from God. Have you ever felt that way? Sometimes I do. This term, the depths, captures our own sense of guilt and of sin. You remember in Genesis 37 when the brothers of Joseph had had enough of him and his dreams and of his special treatment and his coat of many colors. And what did they do? They threw him into a pit. And there Joseph was in a deep, dark place. And he could do nothing to get himself out. He was in the depths. What kind of depths is the psalmist referring to here in Psalm 130? Does he have in mind physical troubles like Joseph found himself in? Is the is psalmist faced with a, a body that is sick and diseased? Does he have broken relationships with his family and with his friends? We find ourselves in all of these kinds of deep places. And in a group of people like we have here this morning, there are certainly all kinds of depths that God's people find themselves in. People with all kinds of different circumstances. People with all kinds of family situations. People with all kinds of health concerns for themselves or for people that they're close to. People with challenges related to their work and finances. People of all kinds of ages with the unique challenges that each different age brings from the troubles of youth to the troubles of old age and all the things that are in between the two. Certainly many of us can say that we are in deep places. If we are, what should we do? Well, we should do what the psalmist does. We should cry out to the Lord as the psalmist does, and the Lord will bring deliverance to us. But are these the kinds of things that the psalmist has in mind in this psalm? There are times when we cannot find any comfort and we cannot find any joy in the Lord. There are times when we're reading in the Word of God or we come to church and we hear preaching of the Word and and we hear precious things. We hear promises from the Lord. We hear about the Lord's mercy. And sometimes we listen to those things and our hearts say, that's not for me. I can't see how that can be for me. Maybe uh, you say to yourself, this is for somebody else. Other people have these things, but... I'm in a deep, dark place, and I can't find those things from the Lord. Maybe you're not a Christian, and you say, God can convert other people, but not me. Do you ever think that Christ will help other people with their problems and their lives, but not you? Certainly, Satan wants us to think this way and to lose heart and to stay in the depths. But dear ones, there is something worse than all of our physical troubles, all of our family troubles, all of our financial problems. There, there, are, there are something worse than the spiritual struggles and doubts that we sometimes have. There is something that is worth, worse even than the attacks of Satan. Sin is worse. In fact, in some way or another, all the other things that I've just been talking about come to us because of sin. Why is the psalmist crying from the depths? Why is he crying from this low place as if he was in the bottom of a pit? It's because he has landed in a pit that he himself has dug. He has fallen in the depths all by himself. He has sinned. There's a separation between him and the Lord. He is in the depths because of the sin of his own heart. Now, this is clear from the words of the psalm. Psalm, you'll notice in verse 3 that we have the word iniquities. And there it is again at the end of verse 8. 
the word iniquities. We also see that what the real problem is when we see words like forgiveness in verse 4 and redemption in verse 7. The trouble is iniquity. The trouble is sin. The word iniquity is a word that means to bend, to twist, to distort. It's the idea that we're twisted out of shape, that our hearts are perverted and depraved. And because we are that way, because our hearts are that way, our thoughts are not right, and our words are not right, and our actions are not right. The kind of depths that the psalmist is reflecting upon here in this psalm are the depths that arise because of an overwhelming sense of sin, an overwhelming sense of guilt in the sight and presence of God. He is overwhelmed because of his iniquity, because he is twisted, because his soul is bent and distorted. And this is the main answer to our question. Where does the psalmist cry from? He cries from the depths of his own personal sin. Now before we move to our second question, let me address something that may trouble you. When I am, a deep, when I am in deep places, it troubles me. And that thing that troubles us so often is this. Are we somehow defective or abnormal or useless Christians if we sometimes find ourselves in deep places? Well, let me encourage you by three examples. The first is Job. Remember righteous Job? When all the tragedy strikes him, he does not sin. He says in chapter 1, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But when we come to chapter 3 of Job, we see something very different. We see Job saying things like this. I wish I had never been born. I wish I had been miscarried. I wish there had been no one there to nurse me. I have a bitter soul. I wish I could just die. That's what Job says in chapter 3. Job sinks into deep, deep places. But is that the end of Job's story? God restores Job. God blesses Job. And little does Job know when he is saying those deep and dark and terrible things there in chapter 3 that the best days of his life are still ahead of him and they haven't come yet. When he's saying, I wish I was dead, I wish I'd never been born, his best days and the greatest blessings from God were yet in his future. Paul says in Romans 7, 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The great apostle from our perspective, the spiritual giant, when he looks into his own heart and at his own sin, he sees a deep, dark place. David Brainerd, many of you may know who I'm talking about when I say David Brainerd. I hope you do. He was an extraordinary man of God who died when he was just 29 years old. He had only been a Christian for seven or eight years. In the 1730s and the 1740s, God raised him up and caused him to shine like a bright light and used his testimony in the lives uh, to influence the lives of so many people. He was a missionary to the Indians in what today is New York State. After his death, Jonathan Edwards published a book based on the diaries that he wrote during his life. David Brannard's diary greatly influenced the lives of incredible men of God like William Carey, Robert, Robert Murray McShane, Henry Martin, David Livingston, Andrew Murray, and, uh, and countless others. I hope you recognize some of those names as great men of God. 
What kinds of things that were in his diary? The diary of David Brainerd. Well, on December the 16th, 1744, he wrote in his diary, quote, was so overwhelmed with depression that I knew not how to live. I longed for death exceedingly. My soul was sunk in deep waters. Now, many of you know, will know who I'm talking about when I say Jim Elliott, the missionary that was murdered by the Indians in Ecuador. His wife is Elizabeth Elliott. Jim, you may not know this about Jim Elliott. On the morning that Jim Elliott was, that, uh, the morning that he died, the day that he died, Jim Elliott wrote this in his diary. Confession of pride suggested by David after the pause for a minute. So I won't cry. Suggested by David Brainerd's diary yesterday must become an hourly thing with me. Just hours before he died. You think David Brainerd was used by God. He was. God can deliver and he does deliver his people from the deepest places. And many of his choicest servants spend time there and they find mercy and deliverance from the Lord. Let's look at our other question. Who does the psalmist cry to? First note that the psalmist does not just stay in a deep place without doing anything at all. He does not just ignore the sad state of his soul that his soul is in because of sin. Our text says, I have cried. The verb tense might be better translated the way it is in the ESV. Out of the depths, I cry to you, it says in the ESV. It is not that the psalmist at some past time cried out to God and then he stopped. The psalmist cried out in the past. He keeps crying out. He is crying out now. He will keep on crying to the Lord until he has deliverance from the deep place that he is in. Who do we cry to and who do we look for help when we have trouble? Joseph was in the pit with no way to escape. Jeremiah the prophet was in a dungeon dark and deep. Jonah was cast out of the boat into deep waters. How will he get out of those waters by himself? How foolish it would be for us to think that we can escape the deep places of our soul all by ourselves. Please, please. Do not think that somehow you're going to make the troubles of your heart better all on your own. You and I have no power to change our own heart or to fix all the things that come from sin. There is no hope unless someone helps us. Who do we cry to? When there is a person weighed down by sin and guilt, what can other people do for such a person? Parents, if you see one of your children struggling because of sin, what can you do? You can love your child. You can listen. You can say a few things. You can try to give them advice. You can pray for them. You can pray with them. But you cannot deliver them. No matter how wise you are, no matter how much insight you have, no matter how strong you are as a Christian, no matter how many years you've been in the faith, what your child needs is the Lord. Only God can make sin right. In the end, only God can deal with the secret places of the heart and the deep places of sin. There are two answers given in our verses to the question, who does the psalmist cry to? Those two answers are the Lord and the Lord. 
Now, you may say that sounds like the same thing. Well, if you'll look at the end of verse 1, you will see that there is the word LORD. And it's all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Then in the beginning of verse 2, there's again the word LORD. But it is not all capital letters. It is capital L, but it is little O, little R, little D. Those letters being small letters. Now those are two different names of God. The psalmist prays to approach God. In approaching God, he, he prays to him using these two names that are names of God. At the end of verse 1, Lord, all capital letters. This is the name Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the name associated with I am that I am. Jehovah is the self-existent, ever-living God. Jehovah is the God who never changes. Jehovah is the God who is the faithful, covenant-keeping God, whose love is always stable. He never waffles or wavers or fluctuates. Whatever Jehovah has committed to do, whatever promises he has made, he will keep them. Jehovah never fails his people. Jehovah will never abandon his people. It is God's very, very special name. This is the name that we are not to take in vain. Jehovah. God gave gave his people uh, this name to mark for them the absolute certainty of his promises that we might believe in him. He is the faithful God. And this is so important because when we find ourselves in deep places, it is because we have been unfaithful. If being right with God and getting out of the depths depends on our faithfulness, then we might as well just give up. But it does not depend on us. It depends on the ever-living, the ever faithful God who has committed himself to us forever through his son Jehovah in verse 2 there is the Lord capital L little o little r little d this is the name Adonai this word means possessor or governor one who is lord and master Adonai is the one who controls me. He is my ruler. He governs every detail of my life. He is the sovereign Lord and nothing is outside of his control and his power, including my dark heart and my deep places. And this is what we need. We need the Lord and the Lord, Jehovah and Adonai. We need someone to take charge. We need someone to deliver us. We need someone who can and someone who is willing. If we belong to Jehovah, he, if we are in covenant with Him through Christ, then He will never let us go. He will have us. And Adonai, the sovereign one before whom all things bow and all things yield, will have us even if he has to move heaven and earth. Nothing can stand in the way of the sovereign one. This is who we go to when we cry from our depths. And make no mistake about it. The Lord Jesus Christ is Jehovah who is Adonai. He is the ever-living and the ever-loving one who is head over all things in heaven and earth. Is that not exactly what the New Testament tells us about him? Friends, do you see your need for this God to deliver you? Do you see your need to go to Christ? What are your depths? 
What is the most trying thing in your life? What troubles you the most? What do you think about and worry about the most? Is it something at work? Is it something in your home? Is it your sin? Is it your hard heart and your unbelief? Is it your going out of the way and finding yourself separated from God and off in a place where you never wanted to be? If it is, who can help? You can't help yourself. Others cannot really help you, though they may try to help you. But there is a God in heaven who can, who can help you. Christ can, and He does help all that cry to Him. And know what we read in verse 2. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. He pleads for the Lord to hear him. The picture that is given here is a very powerful one. He is asking that the Lord in heaven would turn from every other need and every other cry and turn his attention fully to him and what he needs from his deep place. Lord, he says, turn your ears away from every other sound but my voice. Shut your ears to all the raging sounds and noises that come up to heaven from all around the world. And shut your ears even to all the praises of the angels and, and the things of heaven and hear my poor, pitiful plea. Have you ever asked the Lord to hear you? Doesn't God hear everything? Well, the psalmist knows that he does not deserve to be heard. That he deserves to be turned away and to be separated because of his sin. But the psalmist knows that Jehovah will hear and Adonai will answer. Has the Lord ever turned away anyone who cried out to him? Has he ever said to anyone who came to him like the psalmist does? Has he ever said, no, there is no deliverance for you? He never has. Do you think that you will be the first one to come to God, to cry out to Him and be cast away? The very first one? You won't be. Is there any reason why you should doubt the Lord? There is none at all. Hope in the Lord and He will provide. Now there is one last thing I'd like for us to think about before we close and it's this. Have you ever wanted to call out to the Lord? Wanted to cry to Him but felt you didn't know what to do? or where to start, or what to say. I suspect that we've all felt that way in our life. I want to go to God, but I am in such a deep place. I want to go to God, but I've been so bad. My sin is so great. How, how can I go to Him? Or what should I ask? What should I say? Do you ever go to your knees and just don't know what to say to the Lord? Let me give you two powerful encouragements. First is this, the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. He is praying for you. He is bringing your knees before the Father, even at your best, even when you are at your strongest and pray your very best prayers. Even then, you really don't know how to pray as you ought. But Christ always prays for you. He always assists you. He always brings your need before God. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives. He is always making at all times intercession for each one of His children. 
Secondly, not only is Christ praying with you and for you, but the Holy Spirit is engaged as well. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We might not know what to say, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to say. We might be weak and discouraged and helpless. It may be that all we can do is groan because of the depths that we are in. But the Holy Spirit, our verse tells us here in Romans, the Holy Spirit groans with us and for us. And He prays for us and communicates to God what we need so effectively and so deeply that it's described in these words, groanings too deep for words. Christian, we are never alone. Christ is praying for us. He's interceding for us. The Spirit is praying for us. He's interceding for us. What will the Father do? Will He shut His ears as you cry out and Christ cries out and the Spirit cries out? He will not. He will hear and He will answer for Christ's sake. Let me close by saying something to you if you're not a Christian. This psalm is for people who have deep sense of sin and guilt before God, but it is, but it is something that people only really have uh, through the work of the Spirit and through the new birth. Let me say two things to you if you're not a believer. First, there is no Christian anywhere in this world that is in a, that is in a deep place that is as deep as the place that you're in if you do not know Christ. There is no depth that is greater than not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not think, you may not think that you're in a deep place. You may be perfectly content with your life. You may think that your life is good and that all is well. But what can be worse than to think that we're in a good place when really we're in a deep pit? What is worse than thinking that all is well when we're really drowning in the deepest sea? I pray that God will help you to see the deep, dark place that you're in if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But the second thing I would say to you if you're not a Christian is this. Every principle that this psalm teaches to be true about Christians and their God apply to you as well. If you cry to the Lord from your depths, He will hear. If you cry to the Lord from your depths, He will save. This is true for every Christian. This is true for every person that is not a Christian as well. Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 11, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Call on Him now. He will save you if you cry out to Him. May God help us everyone to consider these things, to believe them, and to go to Christ who is able to deliver us from every sin and every deep place. Amen. Let's go to the Word of the Lord of Prayer.